If you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to 1 Thessalonians uh, 5. We're going to be looking at 2 Thessalonians 2, uh, kind of jumping around here, putting it all together, and then finishing it up. If you would like a Bible to follow along, just raise your hands, and we'll make sure you get a Bible. Uh, Jim, we're going to need one down here. <clears throat> but uh, I, I read from the New American Standard, so if you're in the ESV or NIV or a New Living Translation or whatever translation you use, it may be a little bit, sound a little different than what I am using, but they are basically all translated from the Greek, and so uh, I encourage you to follow along and uh, see what the Bible has to say. It's interesting, as we came to the, to the book of uh, the Thessalonians, the two books, uh, they, were, they were a little confused, they, as we've talked about this before, because they just weren't sure what was going to happen in the future. Uh, they had come to know the Lord. They loved the Lord. They had this thriving church. Paul had only been there for a short time, but it sounded like it was doing very well. But as I've mentioned in the past, there were individuals that were now dying, and they were wondering what was going to happen to them, and Paul began to explain what was going to take place, upcoming events. Uh, we have a program to tell you about our upcoming events, don't we? I mentioned some of them. They are up here. Upcoming events. That's what it says. That's my sermon title. But there were upcoming events there earlier of, of what's taking place here. You go to the movies. And what do they show you for the first 15 minutes? The trailers of the upcoming events. Because we all want to know what's happening. What are the things that we're going to do? What are the things we're going to be involved in? How do I need to prepare? How do I need to get ready? And uh, we don't want to miss out on opportunities. We don't want to be confused about what's going on. And so as I looked at this, this is really God's program, and we're talking about what's happening next. What can we know is going to take place? What does the Bible teach us? And then how does that apply to us? Because some of the upcoming events, uh, hopefully you and I are going to miss. Uh, the Bible tends to tell me that as I look at it. There are some things we're going to talk about today that we kind of want to be out of here. And I believe God teaches us that. Can we put that uh, slide up? There it is. Timetable for the upcoming events. <clears throat> Where we are right now is... That present church age, this is the age of grace, that's what I believe, uh, is following the day of Pentecost when the church came into existence. It's following the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, much of what God did prior to that, he did with the nation of Israel, and, and they dealt with the law and those kind of things. But now we're uh, not so much under the law. It isn't that we don't have commandments to follow. We do. And the Bible says, if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. That's what Jesus said. So... There are those things, but the church age is there. And what we have been talking about, and this is what the Thessalonians were concerned about, was that rapture of the church. Because as we've studied, and we're going to come back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it talks about Jesus coming down, but he doesn't come all the way to the earth. He comes part way, and it says, The dead in Christ shall rise. And then those who are Christians and alive on the earth are going to go up and be caught together with them in the, in the air. The dead in Christ are those who have died. Now, that, that 
corruptible body is laid in the grave. It does deteriorate, but there's something about it that God raises up because the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. The spirit and the soul goes to be with him, okay? So if you have a loved one that knew the Lord and they've died, they're with God today in terms of that. But it talks about the rapture of the body, the resurrection of the body. And then following that, you come into this beginning of sorrows, or we call it the tribulation, the years of tribulation, about seven years, the Bible says. <clears throat> if you go back to Daniel, they're called the 70th year of Daniel, uh, the last of the 70 years of Daniel. And you can see there's going to be a desecration of the temple. The Antichrist has a one-world government, and we're going to get into that. And then halfway through, he's got this great covenant with Israel, who is now back in the land. Where is Israel today? Where are they? Where's the nation? Most of them are they're moving back to the land. So we have Israel, 1948. That's when it came back. And we see uh, Jews continually coming back there. But then he's going to break that, uh, that covenant he has with Israel. And he's going to go into the temple. And he's going to set himself up as God. He, he has his power. He isn't Satan, but his power comes from Satan. And then we have this great tribulation period. Uh, and... Uh, certainly the one world government is there, but I, I look at the tribulation and it's really the judgment that God's bring down and I'm going to read some of that. And then I believe there's a thousand year reign of Jesus Christ from what I read in, in the book of Revelation and then the eternal state is a new heaven and new earth. So I just wanted to put that up so you could see a little bit of how this is all going to run and we're going to go back and look at it today. So let me just take you back and review a little bit uh, from the Bible in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. It says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who, and it says are asleep, it means they've died, so that you will not grieve as the rest of those who have no hope. And we've talked about that. You drop down to verse 15. It says, For this we say to you that by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive... Those are the Christians living at that time, and I don't know when Christ is coming back because there's no true sign in terms of, the, of this part, the, the resurrection or the rapture. It says, we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who are falling asleep. It goes on to verse 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, and I love this verse, therefore, comfort one another with these words. It's the resurrection of the believers. It's the, uh, it's the next stop. I remember that old song they used to sing, the gospel trains are coming, I see her close at hand. That's kind of where we're supposed to get on. Uh, we need to be part of that if we're going to have that relationship with Jesus Christ that we're talking about here. And uh, the next thing it says in terms of the believer is found back in Second Corinthians in the 5th chapter and the 10th verse. And it's talking about us, and I believe this is the next thing. It says, for we must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of us may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, both good and bad. 
So it's what we call the Bema Seat Judgment. It's not the great white throne judgment. It's not the judgment at the end of time for those who don't know Jesus Christ. But it's a believer, and our works are evaluated at that time. I've often thought, what's it going to be like? I, I hope he doesn't have it out before everybody else to look at my works. I'd kind of like it to be a private showing. But I've wondered if it isn't, they put it up on a screen and my life just goes, and they see the things that I've done. It doesn't really tell us exactly how that is, but it does say that our works are tested in 1 Corinthians 3 as if by fire, and those which are like precious jewels remain. Those which are like wood, hay, and stubble are going to be burned up, and we receive our rewards based on that, however that is, and the Bible's not clear. But up until that time, there's no real date set for the rapture, for when Jesus comes back for the believers. Uh, there's no sign that has to be fulfilled. He could come while we're sitting here today. And I think that's kind of exciting. Uh, it's also kind of fearful, because am I really ready? And so we look at that, and we realize that John 14, 1 to 6, we know that passage where he says... Uh, you know, you believe in God, believe also in me and my Father's house or many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. And he says, I go and prepare a place for you that where I am there you could be also. And I'm going to come again and receive you to myself. So we see that picture of what happens there as Christ comes back. Well, as we moved into chapter 5, we began to talk about the day of the Lord and what is the day of the Lord. We got into it last week. And in... Verses 2 and 3 of chapter 5, it says, For you, you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just as a thief in the night. It's going to be unexpected. And uh, it's, it's going to involve judgment and destruction. It will also, I believe, involve great blessing. It's when God becomes personally involved with what's going on with humanity and the blessing will come in that thousand-year reign. And uh, then it says, it will come as a thief in the night while they are saying peace and safety, not expecting it. And you remember we talked about the idea that they're going to be marrying and uh, giving in marriage and having kids and working and all of those things. And then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child and they will not escape. It can't be avoided and we just talked about the idea that once the labor pains start, ladies, isn't that right? You don't stop. It just kind of continues on through unless it's false or something. But uh, you don't get up and say, I think I'll quit now. It's going to happen. And so we looked at that last week. And uh, it's not going to be avoided. So let me give you an idea of what God has planned for the earth during this time. And I believe... If we know Jesus Christ, we as believers are taken out. So we're talking about things if you're a believer, you're not going to experience. But we need to know about it. God says you need to know about the upcoming events. I'll tell you what, it really changes my view about those who do not know him and how I can reach out to them and how I can be more of a, an effective witness before them. But if we go back to 2 Thessalonians, if you've got your Bibles open, just turn over to chapter 2. And I want to read the first two verses here. It says, For we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering to him, 
that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or disturbed by a spirit or a message or a letter as if it was from us to the effect of the day of the Lord has come. And so here was this, well, today we'd call it fake news, okay? Here it's coming in, this fake news, and it's saying that somebody said maybe they had a a vision or something that told them that was going to happen, or maybe there was someone preaching on a Sunday morning. He was a, a prophet giving prophecy, and he said that the day of the Lord was already here. Or maybe they received this letter, and these are the three things it talks about here. Maybe they received a letter, and somebody said, well, this is from Paul. Paul sent that. That's really what it says. If, if you receive a letter as if it's from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Because, you see, if the Lord is, day of the Lord has come, then the rapture should have already come, too. And if the day of the Lord is here, which is a day of judgment on the earth, And these people are there still, and they're believers. They're beginning to wonder, did we miss it? I'll tell you, if I woke up one day and all the Christians were gone, I'd wonder what I missed. Because then comes this judgment, this this period on the world that we see there of the the years of tribulation. And so it it begins to show us some of the signs of what's going to happen when this day of the Lord comes. And and Paul's really saying it it hasn't come yet. You don't have to worry about that. You'll know when it comes. It says, let no one in any way deceive you, verse 3. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. And then the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. So apostasy has to come first. Apostasy simply means a falling away. It's a falling away of the church from, from their beliefs, from a solid relationship with Jesus Christ. I believe when the true church leaves that there may be a, a false church that will come in and They'll claim maybe to be Christian, maybe they just claim to be religious, but it's not going to be a church with any power or authority. If you go back to Revelations chapter 17, you'll find that there was, it talked about a woman dressed in scarlet or dressed in red, and she was close to the beast who was the Antichrist. And it was a false religion. Now when the beast didn't need her anymore, you know what he did with her? rid of her because now he claimed to be God so he didn't need this false religion um, she's, she's destroyed at that point probably the beginning of the second half of that tribulation period that, that's going to be gone it's kind of like a, I don't know if this is a good illustration or not the beast and the, and the, and the woman uh, I had a praying mantis out here for about three weeks, he just stayed on the wall. But you know what happens with praying mantises? Uh, they're there, and the male comes along, and they, they mate, they have the relationship. And do you know what she does? She turns around and chops his head off, just like that. That's what the, you bit my head off. That's where that saying came from, I think. It's, it's kind of the idea. Well, here the beast does the same thing. He, she said, I don't need you anymore. And it's kind of like the beast said the same thing. He says, I don't need you anymore. And he sets up his own false religion at that time. But we see that that is the first thing. There is this apostasy. There is a falling away from true faith and true religion. And then it says the man of lawlessness is, is, 
revealed. And that's been the, in the book of Daniel, it calls him the little horn. Uh, he just, he's a leader of a small nation, and he rises up and he destroys three other nations and then takes control of the Roman Empire, the ten confederate nations of, of Europe. And John calls him the Antichrist. In Revelation, he's called the beast. He just gets his power from Satan. But just to give you a little idea, um, the Bible talks about the idea that there will be, if you go back to Daniel and, and the different ones, uh, there will be a ten-nation confederacy that comes out of the Roman Empire. And boy, we see that falling into place today as we see the uh, confederacy in the, of the nations in Europe coming together and making that possible, either Europe or around the Mediterranean. We're not sure exactly where those nations are going to come from, but they're going to be there. And, and it says that he rises up and he takes control of those ten nations, and so that's going to happen after, after we're taken out. And then Israel goes back into the promised land. God says he's going to bring them back. If you go to Ezekiel chapter 37, that's, that's the story of the dry bones. Anybody hear about the dry bones? Yeah, there's an old spiritual, the them bones, them bones, they're going to walk about. And it's the idea that God calls these bones back. It's as if this nation's dead, and he brings them back, and he puts flesh, and he puts ligaments and sinew on them, and then he raises them up, and they ultimately come alive, and it's the nation of Israel. As I mentioned, it started in 1948 when the nation was reestablished. They really started coming back into the land about 1918, coming out of Russia and the different areas. And you can go back and look at the historical background there. But it's amazing. For years, they didn't know quite how to interrupt, uh, to interpret some of these things because they were going, well, the nation of Israel isn't there. They're never going to be back there. And all of a sudden, in a very miraculous way, they're back in that land. And when I look at some of these things, I say, okay, God, it, it isn't necessary for those to happen before the rapture, but certainly before this tribulation period because you said that was going to happen. And so we, we look at Ezekiel 38, and then there's the confederacy that I talked about with the, out of the Roman Empire. There's also going to be a confederacy from the north, a group of nations that are going to come together. Talk about it in chapter 38 of Ezekiel. You go back and you study that chapter of 38, and it says there's Gog and Magog, which are basically up where Russia is. There are going to be those who are down around Turkey, and then there's another one that Russia will have an alliance with, and it's called Persia. What's Persia today? Iran. And so we see these things coming together, and... Well, I can't tell you everything that God's going to do, but there certainly seems to be some evidence of what's taking place. And then at the end of that seven-year period, there will be a, a violent war that we know of as Armageddon. It's not the same thing you've seen in the movies. It's going to be a lot different than that. And Christ reigns following that. It talks about that thousand-year reign, the last couple chapters of of revelation you get into that. But let me just give you some of the judgments that's going to happen on the earth. Uh, seal judgment. I'm going to go back to revelation quickly. And we're just doing a teaching time today. It's, it's more teaching than anything else. And we're going through it very quickly. But it, it talks about these different judgments. And the first one has to do with the seals. Uh, 
And the first seal had to do with a person, a false Christ, really, riding out on a horse, and he sat with a, and he had a bow and a crown, and it was given to him to conquer, and so he's going to come and make war, and he's going to conquer, and certainly that's what we see the Antichrist doing. The second one, they broke the seal, and uh, there was a red horse, and it went out with him, and he sat on it, and it granted to take peace. Uh, from the earth. There's going to be war and men will slay one another. The third seal had to do with famine and boy there was it was a black horse and there was very little to eat. The fourth seal had to do with death and uh, it was a pale horse and so we just get a picture of that as as we come down and then we get to the fifth seal and he broke that and uh, it just talks about the martyrdom of those who come to know Jesus Christ during that time. And the sixth seal had to do with an earthquake. And it says, The sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon began became like blood, and the stars in the sky fell from the earth. And we talked about that a little last week. And the fig, as a fig tree cast its unripe grapes uh, when shaken by a great wind. And I kind of think that has to do with... Um, Maybe a meteor shower, I don't know. And the sky split apart and a scroll, like a scroll when it's rolled up and every mountain and island were moved out of their places and there's going to be a huge movement on earth. And this is just the first six. And then there's an interlude and the seventh seal is opened up and we move into the uh, trumpet judgments. And I just want to get a, get a little bit of a picture of what's going to happen. The first one sounded, and there was hail and fire mixed with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and I think this probably is after the midpoint of the tribulation. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all of the green grass was burned up. And a second angel sounded something like a great mountain burning with fire. It, it, it's like a, a volcanic explosion was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the creatures which were in the sea and, and had life died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. In verse 10 it says, The third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of the water, and the name of the star was called Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the waters because they were made bitter, and a fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars were struck, so that a third of them would be darkened by the day and shined by a third of it. And it goes on and it talks about a lot of different things in those next judgments. And um, it's a lot worse than climate change, folks. We hear a lot about things going on today. But I believe that when God brings judgment on the nations of this world, it's going to be a horrendous time. I'm not saying that to frighten us because I don't think we should be frightened by it. I don't believe that if we are followers of Jesus Christ that we will be here. I don't think the wrath was ever intended for us. In fact, if we go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 4 and 8, 4 through 8, it says, uh, 
For you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. You, you already have an understanding. You have the relationship with Christ, for you are the sons of light. And you're sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. We're not in the dark. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert. Let us be sober. Let us be self-controlled. For those who sleep do not sleep at night. And those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and the... Uh, and love, and the helmet of hope of our salvation. If you remember back in uh, the first chapter, Paul was praising them for how good they were, and in the third verse, he used those same terms. He said, uh, constantly, we're bearing in mind your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope. And we talked about the idea of the, the faith that we have is, is past. It's when we come into that relationship with Jesus Christ. And there is a work of faith. It, in James it says faith without works is dead. So if we're looking at what our lives should be like, we live in such a way that we focus on the return of Jesus Christ. We live prepared for the future, the coming events. And that work of faith, I, I believe if we have faith, is just a, a natural outworking of our relationship with Christ and our relationship with others and, and how we live. It talks about the idea of love. Love is what goes on in the present. Love is how we treat each other. Love is how we relate to God. We desire the very best for each other. And one of the reasons I, I told the city we would help that lady uh, that has a need is because I trust you because I see the love in you that when there's a need, you step up. And I'm so thankful for that. But that's, that's that work of love that we have. It's, it's how we live today in our relationship with God. And, and then it talked about the, the helmet of hope, uh, the assurance of our hope. Are you living... Waiting for the coming of Christ? Are you living waiting for maybe if you die here that your eternal destiny is with him? That's assured. That's what the Bible says. The Bible, Jesus said, uh, when we come to know him, his sheep hear his voice and they follow him. And then he says, nobody can snatch him out of his hand. We're secure not because of who we are, but we're secure because of who God is. It's not about me. It's about Him. And so I have this hope. I have this assurance of my future destiny with Him. And it's not for wrath. Because that's what it said here. We're not destined for wrath. We're not destined to, to have to go through those things that I just read about. And I am so thankful for that that I'm not looking forward to that, but I'm looking forward to the soon return of Jesus Christ. You know, I, I think of what our lives should be like based on the things we've known, and, and we've just gone through this quickly today. I did a study earlier, the end of last year and the first of this year, where we just really got in depth with a lot of it on Sunday nights and 
I think we spent about four or five months just going through what's going to happen. What, what did God expect from the very beginning when God created all the way until uh, the end and the new heaven and new earth where we're going to, to live? But, you know, I, I thought, what should this do for me? I'm, I'm not going to be here, I don't believe. I'm not going to experience the day of wrath. I don't have to live in fear of that. But what I do know is that I have friends that don't know Jesus Christ. And it should drive me to be a witness. Not wanting them to go through those things. To experience the things that we read about in the Bible there. Luke chapter 19 It's telling the story of Jesus as he was traveling up to Jerusalem and he went through Samaria and there was a man there by the name of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was a sinner of sinners in that community. Everybody knew that Zacchaeus was a sinner. And Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. He he just wanted to see him. and, And he couldn't get through the crowds to see him because Zacchaeus was a little on the short side and So we're told that he ran ahead and he climbed up in a tree and he got up in the tree and he was looking down at the people going by and and there was Jesus. And he really didn't want anybody to see him because they'd probably laugh at him if they saw him up there. And here came Jesus and he said, I gotta look at him. I can see him down there. There he is. And all of a sudden Jesus, nobody else probably looked up. They were all looking at Jesus, but Jesus looked up. See, Jesus looks at us. He sees us. And he said, Zacchaeus, he says, come down. How do I get down gracefully at that point? Zacchaeus, what if they laugh at me? Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to go to your house today. Zacchaeus' life was changed. He, he said, I'll give people that I've robbed from, I, I, I'm going to give them more than I ever took and I'm going to give to the poor and I'm going to do all these things with the money I have. And Jesus finished that with a statement. And he said, I came to seek and to save that which is lost. Why did Jesus come? For lost humanity. He went to the cross for lost humanity. I was lost. You were lost. We had no hope. And he went to the cross for us. I look at the upcoming events. And I want to skip that middle one. I don't want to be here. The Bible says, from what I understand, that I won't be. I have some friends that believe that the rapture is going to happen at the middle, and I have other friends that believe it's going to happen at the end of the tribulation period. I believe, from what I read in the Bible, that the rapture will happen first. We're not intended for wrath. But I'll tell you what, I have friends I don't want to see go through it either. And as a church... It's very easy to get caught up 
with being the church and being happy with who we have and who's here and my friends that are here and the relationships we have here. And let's have activities that are good for us, that are good for our fellowship, that are good for building our relationships. And those are good, and I believe God wants them. I believe God intends for us to have that. One of the things that we are to have in the Bible, worship's a biggie. Another one is uh, study the word, edification. Another is fellowship. Another is ministry, caring for the needs of others. But where it says go and make disciples, that's evangelism. And that's when we begin to reach our neighbors and our friends. And that's should be a driving desire of every church. I'll tell you, I like big churches. I love mega churches. I like to go to them. God never called me to be a pastor in a mega church. I thought, okay, I'm coming out of seminary. We're going to have a big church, babe. God put us in the first church was a church plant with 27 people. The second church was a church that was broken and probably had maybe 30 or 40 people at the most. Uh, this church averaged about 20 that last year, and oftentimes they'd be down under 10. But God never had me build big churches, but to help restore churches. But I'll tell you what, I love big churches, and I love little churches. It's not an issue that I have a, a priority for either one, but I will tell you this. Whether it's big or small, it can be dread, drying and dead and not reaching its community, or it can be alive and vibrant and making a difference in the community where we are. And that's what God's called us to do. We need to know what's going to happen. We need to know the upcoming events. But we need to be so caught up with it that we don't want to have anybody else go through that. And so we make that a priority in our activities. Too often it's easy for activities we've had for a few years to become kind of a fellowship event. We call them outreach, but they become fellowship. Nothing wrong with fellowship. God called us for that, but he also called us for outreach. And when I think of the upcoming events, and I just want you to think about that, there are certain ones I want to be there for. I want to be there for the rapture, but I don't want to be there for the seven years afterwards. And I know that somewhere along I'll catch the others. But, you know, if you have questions, we went through a lot of that pretty fast. And maybe some of you have some different philosophies or ideas. But whatever it is, it still should motivate us to be evangelists and people who share the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's pray, shall we? Father, boy, that's a lot to go through in... In 30 minutes or so. You know, when you think of the time scale there, I, I, I don't know when that 70th week of Daniel starts. I, I don't know exactly when the rapture takes place. But I know that you do, and that's good enough for me. I know that you're in control of all that, and that's good enough for me. But Father, help me to... Help me to develop a passion for people who don't know you. 
passionate about people who do. I, I, I love the people that we have here, but Father, help us to develop a passion as a church for people who are outside of your family and see how we can reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the books of Thessalonians. We're going on from there next week. But, Father, I just thank you that you have given us these books to answer some of these questions. Just as the Thessalonians wondered what was going to happen, what the future events were, so should we. So thank you, Father. I pray for each individual here today. I pray as they go out of here, truly they would be caught up with you, Jesus. And, and that passion that they would leave here with would carry on through the week, Father, as we live to know you and to serve you and to become closer to you. The desire to fulfill those things that you've asked us to do by the power of your Spirit. Thank you, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.